Welcome to Making Therapy Better, the podcast that brings together some of the top minds in psychotherapy, as well as everyday clinicians, to talk about where the field is headed and how we can achieve better mental health care for everyone. Making Therapy Better is hosted by Professor Bruce Wampold, who has dedicated his career to understanding how therapy works and advocating evidence-based methods for improving outcomes. His guest today is Edward R. Jones, Ph.D., Ed is a clinical psychologist with years of executive leadership experience in the behavioral health care industry, including vice president roles at Pacific Care Behavioral Health and Value Options. He has worked as a healthcare consultant in connection with both established and startup companies. In recent years, he has focused on health and wellness services, digital health services, and consultation to employers on the economic value of health and productivity. Making Therapy Better is brought to you by CarePaths. CarePaths has been helping in-person and virtual therapy practices thrive for over 20 years with their complete web-based EHR and practice management platform. As mental health care evolves, CarePaths is leading the way in making measurement-based care easy and cost-effective for therapists. Visit carepaths.com to sign up for a free trial today. And now, without further ado, Episode 9 of Making Therapy Better, Primary Care Integration with Ed Jones, Ph.D. Well, Ed, great to talk to you today. Um, for the listeners' information, uh, we've worked together since around 2003 when you were the chief clinical officer at Pacific Air Behavioral Health. And right. I remember well when you and Jeb Brown flew to Madison to have lunch with me to discuss therapist effects. So, you know, you were an innovator. At, at Pacific Air because uh, you were one of the first large organizations, probably the first, to use measurement-based care. You were using Mike Lambert's outcome questionnaire. Right. So all the therapists in your network were measuring outcomes. And uh, well, for me, it was a trove of, of data to look at. And the paper that Jeb and I wrote on therapist effects was one of the first to do this in a rigorous way. But what's exciting was that you were innovating ways um, to improve outcomes. And one of those ways was, was um, before Pacific Care got bought out by United Healthcare, um, to actually create a um, a list of therapists who had consistently and reliably better than average outcomes. And so in terms of an informed public, we were going to start uh, Honors for Outcomes, a list of those therapists. So it was an exciting project and uh, one I look back on fondly because it was innovative, but regretfully because um, it didn't happen because of the, the buyout. So it's exciting to talk to you today because you've seen behavioral health and mental health services from a different perspective. Though you're a clinical psychologist, you've been in 
uh, management and consulting, and you see this. So let's start with the kind of the, the big picture. What's wrong with um, mental health care in the United States? Sure. Well, first, thanks for uh, talking with me today, Bruce. I'm really excited about our conversation because, you know, there's a lot wrong and there's a lot right. Um, <clears throat> some of the same things are wrong. Uh, what we did back then, uh, unfortunately, is still novel. <laughs> you know, it was 20 years ago, and still uh, measurement-based care is an aspiration for our field. Um, it's still uh, coming along nicely. Uh, there are pockets here and there where people understand the value and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think we have a long way to go. Um, I, I do look at uh, life from both a clinical and a business perspective. Um, you know, I spent, uh, I guess I've had kind of three phases of my career. I was a clinician for many years, uh, then spent some time in managed care, and now I've been in consulting for about the last decade. And I do look at things from both a clinical and a business perspective. And quite frankly, I'm more concerned about the business perspective than the clinical perspective right now. Uh, what's right about uh, care? Well, to quote you, and I have many times, psychotherapy is remarkably efficacious. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is that a lot of people don't know that. Um, a lot of people in our field don't know that. Um, there are some very prominent psychiatrists who talk about, write about uh, the, the sad tragedy of are not having very effective therapies. And, you know, thank God we have some, some therapists who started with diagnosis and they built some, you know, kind of medically oriented uh, clinical procedures, so on and so forth, things that you wrote about decades ago. So, um, my concern about business is that uh, there are a lot of um, reasons to be concerned that healthcare is going to go through a contraction at some point. Uh, you know, we're about twenty percent of the gross national product today. I mean, the, the GDP. Uh, well, I don't think anybody ever imagined we'd get to be twenty percent of GDP. Yeah. Um, and so, at some point, there's going to be a contraction, and when that happens. You know, my concern is what happens next. And I've, you know, as a consultant, I've talked about this. I've been writing about it. I, I think there's reason to be concerned about what could happen in terms of um, that jewel that is psychotherapy. Um, and, and so I, I think that there's a lot to be proud of in terms of the great work that we do in our field. Um, and and yet, you know, I, I think from a business perspective, there's a lot that's happening. And the biggest thing that's so obvious that but that people in our field don't seem to really talk much about or recognize is the consolidation, tremendous consolidation of uh, payers, of hospitals, of provider systems. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, today we have we don't have insurance companies anymore. We have health plans and we have three major national health plans, uh, some others that are national in scope, but three enormous ones and then some regional ones. Um, on, the, on the provider side, we have health systems is the new term, right? Mm -hmm. Well, health systems are these consolidated 
um, practitioner, facility, um, behemoths. And I, I think that you know, people in behavioral healthcare have not really come to understand what place they're going to have in these mm. new systems as you know, there's excitement today that behavioral health is being rolled up into these consolidated plans. Uh, I don't think there's been a lot of thought about what, what position we're going to have once that's done. Well, the excitement certainly, um, I think it's safe to say, not on the therapist side. You talk about we got to be prepared for a contraction. But if you look at uh, reimbursement rates for uh, uh PhD level psychologists as well as others, the the income for therapists hasn't grown. In fact, it, it shrunk. The share of the market has decreased. More and more care is provided um, uh, with medications than ever before. So I think the the therapists are already feeling the effects of this system. I think so. And, and, you know, as someone who participated for many years in the managed care industry, I know what the economics were about. It was really quite simple. Um, you know, therapists were not uh, given increases based on the perception that there were enough to go around and so there were no market pressures. Um, you know, I think that there there's still a lot of resentment in our field about um, days gone by. There's a lot of resentment about uh, big business and what's happening today. I mean, that there are billions of dollars being invested in products that, you know, uh, business people, investors can make money on. And still, you know, in the people, not so much. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot that's going on to be concerned about. Um, and and I think that the 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 goal is to be prepared for the future. That's my goal always. And mm -hmm. I think that healthcare is going to be more and more what we're a part of. You know, uh, just because we take insurance doesn't mean we've been really part of healthcare. Yeah. You know, uh, I was in a set uh, separate entity, a managed behavioral healthcare organization. Well. They don't exist anymore. <laughs> They've been acquired by health plans. And, mm. you know, just as the consolidation progresses, I think it's time to be thinking about the next phase and to be thinking about what you mentioned, which is um, compensation for clinicians in our field, which, as you point out, have not progressed as they should and are not comparable. What I've really focused on, some things I've written. Uh, we should be looking at in the medical arena, what are comparable salaries? So for example, nurse practitioners, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, they're growing bigger than any other segment of healthcare and their salaries are substantially higher than psychologists. Mm. Just take psychologists who have PhDs, right? You know, not to mention master's level clinicians who are also comparable in training skill and uh, responsibilities to these medical and, and outcomes, by the way. Yes, yes, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in outcomes, um, you know, so I, I, I guess my point is that I think that as we begin to move into uh, the medical world more substantially than we ever have, we need to be prepared from a business perspective to be raising um, the cry 
that we need to be moving in at compensation levels that are, are fair and equitable. And so what I think is that uh, it's like when you go to get a job, the advice is get the highest salary you can when you start, because then you're going to be stuck with tiny increases if you're lucky along the way. It's the same thing as, as we begin to get um, consolidated into the healthcare industry, it's going to be incredibly important to have salaries be comparable to other medical level uh, salaries. Mm -hmm. Well, let's uh, unpack some of this because it's really interesting. We'll come back to the the digital solutions and the business models of some of this, but let's explore the relationship of mental health services to the health system. You know, it's interesting that the first clinical trials of psychotherapy, starting with the National Institute of Mental Health study on depression, really demonstrated that psychological services were comparable to medications. And so it legitimized psychotherapy as a health um, service. But as you say, we were never really part of the health system. We were in a different silo, so to speak. We got compensated through various insurance companies, but in a very different way. So you're really talking about the transition now to um, a service within the health system. That's right. And so how could that work best for mental health services? And I know you've written a lot about this. Yeah, I I mean, I have, and and I've been leveraging the things that you have been uh, writing about and researching for decades, Bruce. I mean, I I think that what I have to say is my perspective. Um, I don't know that it's commonly endorsed, but uh, you know, it's popular in my house. So let me share with you. <laughs> well, that's why we're talking to you. We, we need, we need um, innovative and informed thinking about this. We can't just let uh, the system evolve without yes. taking some affirmative action about how we're going to deliver mental health services in this country. That's right. And and really, that's all I care about is that there is active dialogue and that there's debate and that we prepare for these changes, whether my ideas prove to be feasible or, you know, good in any way. I don't really care. I, I just want to pu- push the, the dialogue forward. And what I've been focused on is this. Um, psychotherapy is great, but it's also too long. Uh, hour-long sessions are not going to scale, okay? If we move into the healthcare arena, where do we move? Well, everybody talks about we're going to move into primary care. You Mm -hmm. know, we have terms like primary care integration. Um, I've been wrestling with primary care integration for my whole career, as I'm sure you have. Uh, I remember the days of saying, well, I, I need to let the primary care doctor know that I'm seeing their, their patient in therapy. Uh, only to find out that the primary care doc didn't really care, and then you know, yeah. on and on and on. So we've had uh, no good experience with primary care integration historically, but I think that it's becoming 
quite real. There are a lot of therapists in primary care today, um, but they're doing two things. They're either doing regular psychotherapy, uh, which means that they're able to help a, a relatively small number of people, given the size of the population in primary care, or they're running around um, seeing lots more people, not doing therapy, but they're consulting. And they're consulting is sort of, you know, giving people, uh, giving the PCP primarily some advice about do this, try that, consider this. Um, mm. It's a very frustrating job. And it's it's basically not been well-defined, but it's trying to address the fact that we need to be more efficient. Uh, we need to get the knowledge of behavioral health into the system. And we need to do something that um, that can make a difference for the patients, for the primary care docs and, and whatnot. My perspective is we need therapists to start acting just like therapists. That's all. Not, not sitting there and you know having a list of the latest uh, and greatest evidence-based practices, which I'm sure you could go on in chapter and verse about how futile that would be. But but that's what's happening today. I mean, you know, if you talk again from a psychiatric perspective, you start with diagnosis and you want to know what's been effective. And so you get your list of things and you recommend it and so on and so forth. I don't think that's going to really fly. I don't think it's going to be a very satisfying way to practice. And I don't think it's going to be helping a whole lot of people. Um, but I, I do think that it's possible to take what you and I found 20 years ago, which is not only are, uh, not only is psychotherapy remarkably efficacious, but there are some people that are better at it than others. And if we could take some of the uh, findings and just say, well, let's take the people who are actually so effective and let's put them in a setting and ask them to do what they do best, which is talk to people and be helpful. Now, they're not going to have an hour. They're going to have up to 20 minutes, just like a, a PCP. But what the question is, well, what could a really good therapist do seeing somebody, let's say, up to 20 minutes uh, every three months over the course of many years, which is what a, a PCP bottle is, right? I mean, that's that's what they do. What might that bring? Well, my gut is it's going to bring benefits for a lot of people, not everybody. But I'm not suggesting that we eliminate standard psychotherapy. I'm say, I'm suggesting we need what I've called uh, primary behavioral care. Primary behavioral care means putting therapists on the front lines letting them do what they've been trained to do as therapists and to see what they can provide. I don't really know. That's going to evolve, uh, you know, in terms of an operational model, I'm sure. But my, my fundamental insight is the one that you have been shaping for a long time, which is, you know, if we look at therapist effects and we realize that the therapist is driving so much of the outcome, then let's focus on that. Let's get the therapist in that in that setting and ask them to do something for the vast majority of people that they don't know what their problem is. They're not going to look for therapy. If they did, they may not stick with it because it's inconvenient. Instead, let's put them in a primary care setting where they're coming routinely anyway, or at least they should be. That's a whole other you know story mm -hmm. about the the, tri the trials and travails of, of primary care. But, you know, um, let's see what we can do in that setting with a modality that can fit and that maybe uh, is leveraging some of the things we know have been very effective.
Well, Ed, this is a pretty radical proposal, is it not, to um, uh, suggest that integration in primary care could be a, a primary way therapists deliver care, and it wouldn't be the traditional 50-minute hour once a week for even an abbreviated period, six or seven sessions, but um, clinical trials are usually yeah. 12 to 15, and right. in private practice, often a lot longer than that. Right. So say a bit more about what kinds of problems, uh, how you might um, actually ut utilize this integrated model in primary sure. care. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, let me start by saying it's already happening today with two kinds of people. One, uh, they're called coaches or they're sometimes called counselors. They're people who don't have any degrees, but primary care docs have been so convinced that they need somebody to focus on behavior, whether it's the behavior of behavioral conditions that we've been trained to treat or whether it's just the behavior that is uh, compounding and complicating the chronic medical conditions that they're mm -hmm. always at a loss to really have an impact on. I mean, diabetes hasn't changed, hasn't improved in generations, despite all the effort that's been thrown at it, right? And so they know they have to get uh, people like psychotherapists in the mix. But given that no psychotherapists are stepping forward to say, yeah, I'd like to do that, or I'd like to help in any particular way, uh, they're hiring just coaches to go in. And, and so they talk about we have multidisciplinary teams. Great. Who's on the multidisciplinary team? Mm. Well, a, a behavioral coach. <laughs> so mm. understand that's that's the backdrop. The other type of person is the therapist who's hired. And, you know, if you look at some uh, healthcare systems, they're offering bounties, um, rewards to get people to take these jobs because they're so um uh complicated i mean you know they're asking clinicians to go in there and to uh advise who should be getting medication how they're responding to medication uh help people with their smoking issues or weight issues help people with you know so uh, asking a clinician to go in and to be to be all things to all people is the current alternative that that therapists are doing today and that's just burning people out and not not attracting many people to the to the uh, to the roles. What would I suggest? I would suggest that people go in and listen. I mean, it's really the old fashioned thing, right? <laughs> it's like if you ask if you ask primary care docs, and and a lot of what I know today is because I've been collaborating with uh, primary care physicians um, and asking them these questions. And what do they hear? They hear, my doctor never listens to me. Mm. So what, what the deficit is in primary care is the strength in psychotherapy. You know, we're trained to listen, if nothing else. And so what I would say is um, you start with the basics of, uh, of what we know uh, matter in terms of outcome. Uh, as you've written, we start with alliance, therapeutic alliance. Doctors have no idea what that's about. You know, when a, when a PCP hears me talking about psychotherapy, uh, the psychotherapeutic alliance, they say, well, that's interesting. What is that? 
You know, when you talk about empathy, they say, yeah, I don't have time for that. If I start to listen to people's problems, I'll never get out of there. Or they'll tell me about something and I won't know what to do with it. So the role for a therapist in that setting, as I see it, is to connect with people, to listen to them, um, to show that they care, to validate their concerns. Um, and then it's probably to do a couple of things um, that are, are not complicated. One might be to say, you know, you might benefit from some ongoing psychotherapy, you know, and to, to help that person find a therapist. Okay. The, the, the current model we have doesn't work as well because you don't have uh, a therapist who understands why they're referring someone for therapy, what they're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. So it's 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 uh, always problematic when there's a handoff, but ultimately there will have to be, you know, handoffs for people that have more severe problems. So that would be part of it. The other part is I really do believe that digital therapeutics have something to offer, and a whole lot of people can benefit. Um, some of the research that I've been publishing with my old friend Jeb Brown uh, is that you know the the outcomes are surprisingly good for. Uh, some of these digital tools. Uh, and I think that there's definitely a place going forward. Um, you know, it's not going to be effective for everybody, but what is? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think that uh, that there's something in terms of recommending that. But I think that beyond that, I, I, I think that uh, just to be uh, kind of flippant for, for a second, yeah. you know, when I think back to my days of doing psychotherapy, uh, I often felt like the best time in the in the session was was not the entire hour. It was a certain segment of it. And so I, I, I really do think that there are a lot of uh, a lot of contacts with people that can be very beneficial with a, with a 15, 20 minute contact. Um, mm -hmm. Again, with the idea that it's not true for everybody. The other idea is that you have to plant seeds with a whole lot of people. I mean, why are, you know, why is it that the modal number of sessions for psychotherapy has always been one? Well, there are two reasons. One is that some people get all they need in one session. They have a good outcome and they move on. And some people, you know, uh, they drop out. They, you know, they're not ready. And I, I think that the not ready part of it is the biggest part of what we have to address with psychotherapy. A lot of people don't simply want it. But that doesn't mean we can't provide something for them. You know, there are a lot of people who are drinking in, in primary care, right? And primary care back does next to nothing to help these people. What's wrong with just having somebody that says, you know, um, I see that your liver functions have been uh, out of whack, and sometimes that's related to drinking. If you want to talk about that, if that's an issue, fine. If not, that's fine, too. You know, I uh, just want you to know that I'm here. Sometimes we talk about things like that here. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a safe place to do that. Um, and so on. You, you know, and, and so you're planting a seed because somebody may not in any way be ready to do anything today. And so it's like, well, how is that as good as psychotherapy? Well, it's as good as psychotherapy because that person isn't ready for psychotherapy. They're not going mm -hmm. to psychotherapy. You're comparing mm -hmm. it to something that doesn't exist. But if you have somebody that you're getting to know over the course of several years, at some point they say to you, you know, Bruce, I've been talking to you for five years and I didn't ever want to talk about my drinking, but I, I think I need to tell you something. I, I really do drink way too much and maybe we should talk about it a little bit today. 
Mm. That's the model that I'm talking about. Well, several things, reactions. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I'm talking to Bill Miller and Terry Moyers about, among other things, motivational interviewing. Yes. Which sounds a lot like what you're suggesting for this kind of service. It's right. people who might not say, you know, my life is a shambles. I need to go to psychotherapy at this moment. Yet their behavioral problems right. are preventing them from having a better life, causing them problems, physical and interpersonal, for example. Right. But Ed, I can see uh, um, mental health professionals going, well, that's great. But I went into the field because I want to do psychotherapy. I don't want to see uh, uh, patients in primary care for 20, 30 minutes, even if it's on a regular basis, because I'm a psychotherapist. Right. And my response to that would be, that's great. Uh, I see the need for psychotherapy now and forevermore. I don't see that this is a replacement for therapy. It's really saying, though, that um, we're not reaching people who need help, okay? Therapists don't necessarily look at the world the way I did when I was responsible for a population. You know, at Pacificare, we had about 6 million members. Uh, I went on into value options, you know, where we had 16 million members. And my responsibility is to say, how are we addressing their needs? Yeah. When you start with that angle, you start to say, how are we meeting the needs of a population? The answer is not very well. And we've got to do more than just wait for them to uh, call up and say they want a psychotherapy session. And I think that's where psychotherapists are going to have to um, understand, uh, and they will abruptly if if things you know become um, less uh, friendly inside a medical system. And so my point is, I think that there are a lot of clinicians who would like the fast pace of, of that I'm describing. They would like the opportunity to make a difference with a larger number of people. They would like the environment of a medical practice, but not everybody. So in other words, I'm just saying this is a separate track. People need career tracks, and I just think that this is a career track that is going to be increasingly important um, for uh, our field, and it's increasingly important for uh, for patients, and we're all patients at some point. Um, and and I, I think it's 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 something to be looked at. It doesn't mean that it's going to replace psychotherapy. I would never suggest that that's the case. Um, I too work with people for. Uh, weeks on end, months on end, years on end, and it was not frivolous psychotherapy. It was really helping people to 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 live better lives because of the the struggles that they had. I'm not in any way suggesting that it's going to be replaced yeah. by what I'm what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, most people don't get an an opportunity. You know, when you look at the utilization levels of behavioral health services in a large population, like I did at Pacific Air or value options, took about less than 5% of people. Well, we know that at least 50% of people have stress in their lives that's causing them to be really unhappy at some point or another. 
that's just a ballpark number, right? It's way higher than 5% is all I'm trying to suggest. And what are we thinking about? What are we doing for them? We can't just give them all digital tools. Yeah. And you, uh, there's two points in this that I think are, are really important to, to emphasize. The first one is um, the population view of this. And you said it so well. You were in charge of six to 16 million uh, members mental health. Right. And when you think about it that way, it changes your perspective because we have to think about how can we reach as many people and make a meaning, meaningful difference in their lives. And as you say, psychotherapy, even though it's remarkably effective, is only reaching a small proportion of that. So that's point number one. Right. Point number two is, and I think we really need to emphasize this, it's not a lesser skilled option that you're suggesting, the primary care model. And in fact, it may require even more exquisite and sophisticated skills to be able to do this in a very focused way as you say, with a strong emphasis on the alliance, understanding, and helping people make small but important changes in their lives. I, I think that's such a good point. And, and you know, I, I, I hadn't fully thought about it in that way, Bruce. I, I think that, you know, as I said to you, today, the current model is primary care is trying to attract unlicensed unlicensed coaches and counselors and then they're they're hoping that they can lure clinicians of whatever description to come with their um their license to to do whatever um and and so there's not any thought to what the role is really other than it's massive and broad uh and that they they want people to be willing to come for the salary what what you just said is exactly what I, I guess has been in my thought in my head, although I didn't really articulate it. If I were to start, you know, finding people for this today, I'd want to find the best clinicians. I'd be going back yeah. to what you described before in terms of, you know, what we were doing at Pacific Care, the honors for outcomes, which was, uh, you know, the last thing that I think we did before we got acquired by uh, United. It, it was basically it was an honor roll. Um, people uh, were given uh, some sum of money. I don't remember what it was, $1,000 or something. <clears throat> but it, it was an honor. There was, a, there was a, a recognition monetarily. It was saying, wow, your outcomes are superior to um, most clinicians. They're better than average, you know, whatever words you want to use. And um, that's the group I would turn to to say, okay, You've all been doing great work. We have a really unique new opportunity here, and we don't know what we're doing. You know, we just don't. Um, we know what the, the demands are, um, but we need some really good clinicians to go in and to tell us what works and what do they find uh, is, is effective for them. Because my concern is that it's not just about what's going to get the best clinical outcome for any given patient. 
it's also what's what is the clinician going to feel? You know, I I don't know. I haven't really done this work. I think we've all done uh, something similar to it, but not in a in a uh, uh, on a day in and day out basis. And so we need clinicians to go in there and say, here's how you keep your bearings. <laughs> here's how you keep yourself steady. And here's what you need to be thinking about, um, you know, to keep yourself in touch with what you can do at the time. Because the thing that strikes me is important is that you should be operating like a therapist when you're with people. Are you assessing whether they need this or that? Yeah, you're assessing, but you're always assessing as a therapist. I don't want the assessment to outweigh the mindset of a therapist. I don't want the goal to be, you know, too heavily focused on, you know, is the medication working? Do I need, you know, I mean, the things that are being discussed today in primary care are just that. They're all distractions from somebody actually being a therapist. I mean, how can you be a therapist if you're if you're going in there with, you know, 10 different things that you know that the primary care doc wants to hear from you about that person? It's just an interview then. And I'm not suggesting it should be an interview. It should be some type of an encounter that we would call therapy-like, but obviously it's not standard psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Ed. Um, I think the role you're describing is different than what health psychologists are oh, doing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, health psychologists, <clears throat> I think have brought great value. I don't uh, uh, in any way underestimate the value they've brought in terms of understanding the, uh, the interaction between mind body and, and, and the need to help people who have, <clears throat> you know, physical, uh, problems, everything ranging from you know heart conditions and cancer, and and, and addressing you know the the uh, psychological you know um, comorbidities and other things that that you know you need to focus on, right down to helping people stop smoking, losing weight, doing whatever it is that that is going to help them physically as well as mentally. I mean, so health psychology you know has uh, delivered real value. But it's not at all what I'm talking about. I mean, the mind mm -hmm. of a health psychologist is about what program do I want to offer them? <laughs> you know, health yeah. psychology is very much programmatic. It's, you know, um, we found that such and such works well. If you've, I'm sure you've talked to many people who are health psychologists. And, you know, um, it's, it's not the mindset of a psychotherapist. I'm a psychotherapist. You know, I, I know what it's like to sit down with somebody as a psychotherapist that's not what a health psychologist has really been right. trained to do. So it really, as you're describing it, is psychotherapy in a different format, but aimed at improving uh, the mental health and adjustment of uh, patients in primary care, which we know. I mean, the, the, the prevalence of uh, behavioral and mental health issues in primary care is huge. Right. And this is a way to address it directly rather than saying, hey, look, I think you're depressed. I'll make a referral to a psychiatrist or a, right. or a mental health clinician. That's and right. that person waits for six months and right. um, uh, uh, lucky if they that's can right. get. And that's what we have today. Exactly, Bruce. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned that what I'm proposing is is somewhat radical. 
Um, I would argue that you uh, you are the one who instigated it, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because what I'm really saying is if, if you think through the debate that carries through in the books you've written and the articles you've written, the, the debate is this, that if you have a medical view of psychotherapy, then you're going to do exactly what we're doing today. Okay. But if you don't, if you, in fact, don't believe that it's all about technique. If you believe that, in fact, um, that there is uh, more about the person of the therapist that's involved, that there are factors like the alliance and empathy and so on and so forth. If, if that's what you think is really so powerful, then that's what you need to start from. And nobody is doing that. Now, I may be wrong about how to start from that or how to leverage it or how to you know, uh, implement it. but that's okay, because again, I just want to provoke a debate that gets us thinking in that direction, because the world is still dominated by a medical model and thinking that, well, I don't know, if the person has depression, then what do you give them for depression? And, mm -hmm. you know, and so on. It's ironic, though, Ed, that you're recommending the non-medical model to be integrated into the medical context. It is ironic, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I've learned from talking with a lot of primary care physicians. Um, the model that's being promoted in this country that is supposedly the beyond end all for integration is the collaborative care model. And the collaborative care model is a psychiatric model. The collaborative care model comes out of the tradition in psychiatry called consultation and liaison, you know, CNL psychiatry. And it's fine. It goes in and it says, you know, there are a lot of people who are not getting their medications adjusted right. So let's establish a lines of communication to adjust medication. And by the way, now they, they also say, well, and let's do a screener. And if somebody screens for depression, we'll put them on a list for psychotherapy. And, uh, and it's the same thing. Most of them never get into any kind of therapy, but, you know, yeah. that's okay. Um, PCPs basically say they couldn't care less about that model. It's like if, if a psychiatrist wants to come along and take responsibility for those patients and give some advice, it's like, that's fine. So what? They have bigger problems and they're not going to debate it. They're not going to, you know, get into any uh, argument about it. But it's not like on the PCP side, it's, it's you know, so highly valued because it's dealing with a percentage, a small percentage of their, their patients. It's dealing with issues that they're already having to deal with. I mean, my God, do they not prescribe enough medications? I mean, you know, so the yeah. primary care doc is not exactly naive about medications. Sure, maybe psychiatrists are better, but, you know, again, that's not, that's not what they're, they're concerned about. What the PCP knows is that they have to help people change behavior. And so the frame that I use is always behavior change. Now, therapists might resist that and say, well, that's not what psychotherapy is. You sound like a behaviorist. And my attitude is, whatever I sound like doesn't matter. I'm trying to communicate with people that are important for our field. And they understand, the PCP understands behavior. They understand that they talk with their patients um, you know, year in and year out, and they don't change anything that's going to make their congestive heart failure, their diabetes, their asthma, or anything a whole lot better. Um, and so they understand behavior change. And I think mm -hmm. that what I'm saying is, you know, it, it's ironic 
but it's factual that the PCP sees the need for people who have a, a skill in therapy, not in medicine. You know, mm -hmm. they don't feel that they've, you know, been shortchanged in terms of their medical skills. They feel that they are not in any way prepared to deal with all these people who need to change something about their lives. And that's why they're turning to therapists and they don't know what they ask for, but they know that they're not getting much. You know, it's not like PCPs are like thrilled with any of the models that are out there today. They know that a behavioral coach is just a, you know, person off the street who says, yeah, I'll help. <laughs> and they yeah. know that the therapists who are juggling a hundred different things and come back to them and say, so-and-so needs, you know, a, a therapy referral and so on. They know that they're not really doing much except an extension of the frustration that they've once, you know, uh, dealt with. They don't see yet any real genuine value being brought to bear, but they do know that what they want is an interpersonal experience that helps people to change behavior. Mm, that's a good way of saying it. Um, this is interesting because when I talk to uh, Bill Miller and Terry Moyers, I'm going to uh, discuss some of these issues with them. So I think they're going to have a perspective on this. Um, I, th so I think that they're, they're focused on, on addiction, right? Well, <laughs> and, not, and that's not necessarily <clears throat> addiction. But well, that was, that's the, where it started. That's where it started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would just say that what's amazing to me is that with all the advances that we can talk about and all the folks, I mean, addiction still gets short shrift. It's just uh, utterly amazing to me. It's like we need people to think about getting into primary care because of depression. That's what anybody thinks. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, oh, there's only depression out there, you know? And and I think that the the neglect of addiction is just mind-boggling mm -hmm. it's addiction other habits it's, it's yes obesity it's it's um lifestyle yeah yeah interpersonal relationships is a big one i mean yeah so the collaborative care model uh, mm -hmm. uh is not the solution so it's the kind of the integration of mental health services in primary care. Are there good um, pilots of this? Is it working somewhere we can think about uh, uh, scaling up? Or is this an idea we're still kind of trying to get some traction on? I would say it's an idea we need traction on uh, to be completely honest. But I think that there's experience of people in um, uh, in these settings. So in other words, <clears throat> what I would say is the idea that I'm talking about, we would need to get traction on. My idea is, is far, far, far from the mainstream. And <clears throat> what we're trying to do is to, um, to look at getting um, uh, getting some traction. And if we get a second, I'll, I'll talk to you about where I think the traction could come from. <clears throat> but I do believe that there are a lot of therapists <clears throat> who have been asked to work in this setting who are really good people who, you know, uh, they understand all these things. I mean, they, they get it. I mean, you know, uh, they are uh, working there. They're they're aware of when they're helping someone and they're, 
really um, glad to be able to do that. Um, <clears throat> by and large, as I said, um, they're either providing psychotherapy, uh, for, you know, standard psychotherapy, <clears throat> or they're providing the brief uh, kind of contact. The people who are being asked to do the psychotherapy are the ones who would have more um, affinity for what I'm talking about. Okay, affinity in the sense that <clears throat> they would evolve from knowing that they're doing decent work, that they're interacting with the primary care docs, that they're in the setting, they 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 have a real strong feeling uh, about what the issues are and the needs are, and they know what's missing, okay? They know what's not uh, happening. So I ask simple things like, well, forget what I'm talking about. How much group work is going on? You know, remember group mm. therapy? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's something to be said for group work, you know? So mm. I've said to the psychologists who I know who are, you know, just working in some innovative primary care practices, um, working there, but just doing standard psychotherapy. I say, well, how many groups are you running? Are you doing groups? And I said, you know, I've been saying we need to do that, but we're not doing it. Yeah. You know, so I I do think that there are people who are in that setting already who have uh, credibility because they they do know the issues. They knew they do know um, what's working and what's not working. Uh, but the idea that I'm talking about, uh, it, we need um, <clears throat> that discussion to take place. And and it's really even not my idea. It's we need the discussion, I think, as you were framing it earlier, okay, if it's a combination of, of psychotherapy and primary care, then let's just start with that as being the agenda. Forget my rendition of that, where I'm saying, I think that we need people who are, um, are not doing full-length therapy, who are having brief visits and so on. Don't even presume that. Just let's get the conversation going that if you need to bring psychotherapists into the mix, how do you do that? What are the issues? How do we meet mm -hmm. all of our goals? Because that's how I came to my thinking is that I, I'm aware of all the challenges. I'm aware of, of the push and the pull um, from population views and from the patient view and from the clinician view. And I think that, you know, we we can get some traction there, perhaps. Mm. Well, this is related, but let's come back to this idea of digital therapeutics, because yeah. I've been in several discussions where with, uh, um, you know, various uh, um, insurance companies and, and payers that uh, while there's clearly an access problem, people can't get the care they want. Um, so let's fill it in with some kind of digital therapeutics. I was on a call the other day. <clears throat> well, we have uh, uh, digital CBT and that's proven to be effective. And many of the, the uh, patients find it acceptable and effective. So what role are these digital therapeutics going to have? And um, how does this relate to the discussion about primary care? Sure. Um, we've never talked about this. So what I'm about to say is new to you, and this is my perspective on it. 
I'm terrified that what I see as being valuable but limited, namely digital therapeutics, um, uh, are going to come back to bite us, and it's going to be um, undermining uh, what we do today. And what I mean by that is every time I hear people pontificating about the great crisis of access to care and that we have to do something about it, <clears throat> you never really hear them telling you what they propose to do. Um, are they proposing to fund more therapists? No, no one is proposing to do that. Um, our president just had a wonderful bill with a lot of things, but he didn't do that. Okay, um, so, uh, you know, we can go on and on and on about the inadequacy of our workforce. Uh, nobody's coming to pay for that workforce uh, to add to it. Uh, nobody's defraying the exorbitant costs that uh, clinicians are paying to get these degrees and, and whatnot. <clears throat> so what I see coming is a two-tiered system. I don't see it coming. I fear it's coming. And what I fear is that um, there are a lot of people who are very fond of the notion of stepped care. You know, let's first give everybody digital therapeutics. And if they emerge somehow from that and they look like they need something more, then we'll give them that. It's the same problem we get with virtual care. You know, there are companies that are out there saying, oh, we've got a virtual primary care. <clears throat> the PCPs that I talk with say, yeah, that sounds good, but you know, until you talk with a primary care doc, you don't, you know, you're, you're going to miss a lot of things. And and so, I I think that the the point is how do we start and how do we manage and how do we incorporate these new technologies? And I would say you need to keep them closely watched. They need to be tied to people, to clinicians who are watching over what's going on, because what I see happening is. There are a lot of business people that see that they can make quite a killing from promoting these tools and whatever else is coming. Um, and, and I think that the, the, um, the, the fine service that they can provide could get warped and turned into a first tier of care uh, to address our, our terrible access problem. And so uh, I am you know, very troubled by our access issues. Um, <clears throat> I think that they are real, they are dismal, they're, they're awful, and we have to do something about it. And there aren't any easy answers. And what I see is that nobody's offering answers, but what's going to very easily be the temptation uh, down the road when push comes to shove is to say, well, we have digital tools. Give everybody digital tools. You know, a lot of people do well with those which is true, but of course, which people are doing well with those? And which uh, digital tools and which digital uh, tools delivered in which context by which people? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and the research that Jeb and I have done shows that every time there is some type of a human contact or interaction, the results improve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I, I think that it, it's, it's a, a situation where the digital industry is providing something of value, but I hear the access problems in our field being used as a basis for uh, for changing the way care is delivered in a way that I don't think is going to be very good, and that I think could uh, could could hurt a lot of clinicians. It's the same way that if you hear the phrase value-based care, 
Um, you know, the, the, the common things that everybody likes to talk about today are, oh, we need digital solutions and we need value-based care. Well, a lot of people think value-based care just means, well, let's look at outcomes in addition to the cost of care. Okay, that's a very superficial way of understanding it, but it's partly because it hasn't really come in any big way to the behavioral health field. What it really means down the road is it's a different form of managed care is all it is. Value-based care means that let's move to this consolidation that I was talking about earlier, where all care is now consolidated because health systems are providing every type of care general care, primary care, and specialty care. And we're going to pay for all of that to be integrated. Well, that sounds great. I mean, we're going to have holistic <laughs> care. We're going to have, this is wonderful. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is um, there's only so much money to go around. And now the health system is going to have to provide everything. And, you know, you may be surprised to find that Behavioral health care isn't, you know, as, as much as they say they just value behavioral health care. They also think that it would be great to have that new program that was just rolled out for helping people with diabetes or heart failure or whatever. In other words, it's about competition. Value-based care is, is a managed competition in the sense that the health system is delivering all sorts of care. We're one of them, and we're not exactly high on the totem pole. And so it, it troubles me when I see people, you know, um, thinking that digital is the future or value-based care is the future. It, it could be a very grim future. Well, we're going to run out of time here. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> but clearly, we're at a, a critical point in mental health care. I feel that when I, you know, I hear ads for, for even in, in public radio for better help, all you yep. need to do is tap on your phone and you're going to get the help you need. Right. But we're, we're in a, some, as you say, difficult times. You, you use fear and scary. I'll just say challenging and difficult. <laughs> but we really have to think about models of care, which are both going to be supportive of trained and effective uh, clinicians and benefit patients. Right. And we have to do this in a, a, as you talk about it, in a way that serves the population of people who are suffering. Right. Yeah, I, I think that um, you're right that this is a time where it's beginning to feel like um, uh, the, the, some of the barriers maybe uh, around stigma are coming down. People are talking about therapy. Um, we have the digital um, push in terms of investment in that uh, side of the, the, the industry. Uh, there's a lot that's happening. And yet at the same time, as we move into the general healthcare world, we're moving into a world that is so bloated and so due for some type of correction um, that, you know, be careful when that starts, because we, as I said, we're not high on the totem pole. Well, the inference from that is we need to be useful to the medical system. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the point you're making. Yes. We can make a difference 
with the tools that we have as effective therapists. And we need I think to do that's, that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the, in terms of the hopeful message, Bruce, I think that that is the message that th there's nobody other than a highly effective psychotherapist that you would want to step into that role. You know, mm -hmm. if you've got someone that you know is a really good therapist, that's what the PCP is needing. They don't know what to do with them. They wouldn't know how to find them. They, you know, yeah. but but that's what's really needed. And so that's why it's a very hopeful time as well, because I think we we know that psychotherapy is effective. We know that the individual clinician is what's driving a lot of that. And so that's the good news. <clears throat> the the opportunity is enormous. And um, unfortunately, we're going to have to make changes to, to make it all come together. Um, and, you know, that's that's what will keep us uh, talking for a while to come. Keep keep you and me busy. Uh, <laughs> we thought right. we were going to retire at some point. But well, but this, is, this is more um, more challenging and interesting. And as I said, gratifying, you know, if if, if we can make this shift, um, uh, this would be just terrific. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation and one that I think is um, utmost importance for us to think about as we're running into this new age based on changes in the health system, as well as the emergence of digital therapeutics and other challenges. So uh, thank you. And it's great to uh, have the opportunity to spend an hour with you. Well, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much, Bruce. Great. Thanks, Ed. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Making Therapy Better is brought to you by CarePaths. CarePaths offers a complete behavioral health, EHR, and practice management software solution, including claims, billing, clinical notes and documents, scheduling, and teletherapy, all for one simple and affordable monthly price. CarePath's EHR is HIPAA compliant and ONC certified, and can also support electronic prescribing for an additional fee. Their latest release, CarePath's Connect, includes automated measurement-based care and the ability to create a digital front door for your practice, as well as a free mobile app designed to increase patient engagement. If you're just starting your practice or are dissatisfied with your current EHR, go to carepaths.com to start your free trial today. To find out more about Bruce Wampold and his work as CarePath's Chief Clinical Officer, visit makingtherapybetter.com. Mm -hmm.